Northeast Pennsylvania. Welcome to the local edition. News and information keeping you connected in the Catskills, Northeast Pennsylvania. I'm your host, Jason Dole. We got a lot of news to get to tonight. Coming up, some lawmakers are thinking about what's next for the post-pandemic tourism industry in New York State. The biggest industry in Sullivan County, anyway, New York State, by the way. We're also going to have our weekly news roundup with the Hudson Valley Times Union Bureau. And I spoke to Philip Pantusa earlier today. He has an amazing breaking story on one Ulster County town that seems prepared to ignore freedom of information law requests. That's, that's up next. But first, we do have some news from Albany. Republicans in the New York State Legislature are calling for a special session to address what they perceive as inaction from state officials, including Democratic Governor Kathy Hochul, in addressing the arrival of migrants to the state. More than 100,000 migrants have arrived in New York City, straining local resources, with Mayor Eric Adams sending many to upstate communities. Speaking Wednesday in Broad Alban, Republican Assemblyman Robert Smullen of the 118th District said it's time for Hochul to take charge. We're hearing from the New York City mayor that he's going to require that migrants be involuntarily resettled in upstate communities. The governor has not led on this issue, and she absolutely should be leading uh, on this issue from a state-level perspective. Democrats who control the legislature have thrown cold water on the idea of a special session. Assembly Majority Leader Crystal Peoples Stokes of Buffalo spoke on WAMC's Capital Connection. I think that's all just a political grandstanding. Uh, they both know who has the ability to call a special session. And if they have not reached out to them and had conversations and built an argument on why they think it should be necessary, then they're just politicizing to their constituency. Reporters speaking to Governor Hochul today in Albany actually did ask about a special session, and the governor essentially said, uh, wait and see on that. And they asked further about the migrant issue, including the politics around it and the concept of sanctuary in New York State. Here's some of that exchange. Governor, um, understanding this is a humanitarian crisis, but does it also become at some point a, a political problem for your party heading into the next election? I don't define our challenges as political or not political. We have to do what's right. These are individuals who came here legally seeking asylum. They're all coming to New York City. New York City, and I commend the mayor, and I commended him during his finance control board meeting for the extraordinary work he has had to undertake and accomplish standing up literally 200 sites. So it is a challenge for all of us, but we have to focus not on the politics of this, but focus on doing what's right. And the answer falls with Washington, with resources, change in work authorization, helping us with housing vouchers, helping us with more money for education, helping us with health care, all the issues that were on my agenda when I went to the White House last week, and I'll be speaking to the White House again, I think, in another hour. I have a call. Has there any been consideration of ending the sanctuary status when it comes to what the state can do to slow the influx? The sanctuary, that is not the status that is driving people our state. That's been in place for a long time. Many, many other states have sanctuary status. That is not the driver of why they're coming to New York State. It is the right to shelter 
that is a construct of uh, litigation from 1981, a consent decree between parties where they agreed that New York City would provide shelter to whomever requested. I don't think in a million years it was anticipated to be an unlimited universal right to have shelter provided to the entire world at cost of taxpayers with no end in sight. So there needs to be a, a conversation now about what that looks like again, how we take care of people, how we've successfully made sure that we didn't have homeless living in our streets. That is why we are not San Francisco and Los Angeles. And this is a good thing for us, that we've had that, that sense of responsibility. But taking care of those individuals did not mean we have the capability at this time to house the entire world. That is what has been driving people to the state of New York. We need relief, but also if we can get these people to work, if we're allowed to let them work, they can be independent. They don't need a shelter. They don't need to be taken care of. They came here to work, not to live on Randall's Island in a tent. I assure you that. Last one, Thank Jamie. You. Jamie, last one. Okay, next up on the local edition, it's time for our weekly check-in with the Times Union's Hudson Valley Bureau. And for that, we turn to Philip Pantuso. I spoke to him earlier today, uh, and he has this amazing story that they really just stumbled into yesterday in conjunction with the town of Saugerty's, uh town meeting. And uh, it seems to involve, well, uh, on the part of the town of Saugerty's increased concern about privacy uh, on the side of critics uh, an increased desire for secrecy, perhaps one that uh, might even violate state law. Philip Pantuso has more. This was a kind of an interesting story that developed yesterday. I noticed that on the agenda for the Socrates Town Board, which met as scheduled last night, there was a motion that would deny any and all requests under New York's freedom of information laws for all records pertaining to resignations and retirements of public officials in the town and the village of Socrates. And the description cited, quote, matters of personal privacy. So that kind of raised a red flag for me because that seemed to be uh, in contravention of, of state freedom of information law. Uh, so I checked with the Committee on Open Government, which oversees government and, and public news media on uh, state record access laws. And they confirmed that, yes, that would <laughs> violate the law. Um, basically, what they said is that uh, denying a, a blanket policy such as this would have been um, to deny FOIL requests um, without conducting a review of the relevant records to determine whether each disclosure would constitute an invasion of privacy is inconsistent with an agency's obligations under the law. Um, so a little bit of background here. This touches on a story that I've talked about on Local Edition a few times now, the suspension and then resignation of Sagri's police chief, Joseph Sinagra. Yeah, I was going to so, ask if this policy yeah. change has anything to do with, with this ongoing issue. So that wasn't confirmed for me explicitly. I did... I, the Socrates Town Board has five members. Um, four of them either did not take my call or said that they couldn't comment. The one who did speak to me uh, answered some of my questions, but when I asked him exactly that question, he just said, next question. But 
I think, you know, wow. here's what we can say. They, they put forward this motion. What has happened is that uh, Joseph Sinagra, the former police chief, he was suspended back in July by the town board while it investigated uh, the like misconduct and, and some allegations against one of the officers in the police department. While he was suspended, he submitted his retirement papers. And I confirmed with the State Association of Chiefs of Police that he was eligible for retirement, but a, a kind of confusing narrative has taken hold because when the town board voted to whether or not to accept his retirement, they framed it as a resignation. And so there are, there's a sort of like vocal group of, of concerned citizens in Socrates who, who think that uh, Sinagra resigned. Um, I think technically he retired. It also kind of gets into the semantics around like what his contract was with the city or with the town. And so, I, I, you know, I, I know that there are residents in Socrates who have been trying to get clarity on this, as have I, frankly. Um, and so, you know, to then in the next town board meeting put forward this motion to deny any freedom of information requests pertaining to resignations and retirements feels almost too on the nose. Um, yeah. And I think that, uh, you know, I was going to I was going to publish this story after the town board meeting last night, sort of, de- you know, pending what they actually decided. But my editor, the editor of the paper, said we should go ahead and, and publish this as soon as possible. And then we can update with the results later, you know, just to sort of provide the public information about what this meeting is going to uh, include, you know, namely an attempt to circumvent state public access laws. So we, we published it yesterday afternoon. Um, and, you know, I don't know if that had any effect or anything, but at the town board meeting last night, they, when this motion was brought up, it was countered with another motion to, to table the vote to some later date pending further consultation with the town attorney. So for now, it's, you know, it hasn't passed. They didn't exactly vote it down either. It probably will come back up at some point, but we're not sure when. Wow. Okay. And to be clear, this is just about Saugerties? Yeah. So this is the town board's meeting. Um, and essentially, they're just trying to get themselves to, the power to deny, to, uh, you know, a blanket denial for any freedom of information requests uh, pertaining to any personnel decisions related to resignations or retirements. Are, are any of these town board seats up for election this November? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, I'm actually not sure off the top of my head. Yeah, yeah, it's just it just seems like if if the public is having this much difficulty getting answers from the town, uh, that and then the town is so reluctant that it appears apparently that that they're they're even ready to deny all FOIL requests, and and, and it seems like well the next recourse for residents then is what they do at the ballot box. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I, I know two of the seats at least um, were filled. Uh, last year, uh, including the, the town councilman who did speak to me on the record, his name is, you know, I, I asked him straight up uh, if this motion would violate state records law. And he said, if the state wants to tell us otherwise, they can. As far as releasing these records, if we set a precedent, it might impact future communications. 
we're protecting <laughs> employees' confidentiality. You know, I think I agree with him that if uh, if they release these records, it might set a precedent. Uh, that is kind of the point. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, so, yeah, we will see um, if it comes up for, you know, a vote in the future. I tried to get in touch with um, the, the town has two attorneys and uh, the one who advised on this particular motion is on vacation this week. So I was not able to speak with him yesterday. All right. Well, this is, this is a pretty amazing story. So I thank you for the reporting you're doing on that. And I look for, I look for an update, hopefully in the not too distant future. Cause there's, there's yeah. still a lot of unanswered questions here. Um, yeah, there was, there was one, I'll just touch on this briefly. One more piece of news to emerge out of the town board meeting last night, a different motion, which passed unanimously, um, permitted the town to hire a retired state police lieutenant colonel named Terry O'Mara, who is going to serve as a quote-unquote temporary administrative aide to the interim police chief. What he's going to be doing in that capacity is conducting an internal investigation of the police department that's running in parallel with the Ulster County District Attorney's investigation uh, concerning those allegations I mentioned earlier. So he's going to get paid $85 an hour uh, for the pleasure of that. All right. And then another thing that I know you're taking a look at uh, this, this this week is uh, a Central Hudson uh, power provider considering a rate hike to consumers. This is something that we, were, we had uh, folks on from the New York Public Utility Law Project on to talk about that there was negotiations going on between providers and the state. Those negotiations involve rate hike. So this is a good thing to keep an eye on as well. What are you seeing here? Yeah. So um, a couple of months ago, Central Hudson um, for, uh, submitted to the Public Service Commission uh, its new delivery rate plan. So its current plan expires June 30th, 2024. This next plan or this new plan um, or in the plan, Central Hudson is asking for a 16% jump in delivery rate for electricity and a 19% jump for the delivery rate for gas. And that's going to come out to something like a $30 on average increase on customers' bills, which is, uh, you know, not nothing. Um, Central Hudson is saying that it's citing a number of reasons why they need to raise these rates, at least, you know, for the one year that they're asking for uh, to start with. Um, among those reasons is aging infrastructure, um, the state's green energy mandates, uh, climate change challenges uh, that have made, uh, I think, the delivery of electricity and gas more difficult. And also, of course, customers are, are using more um, electricity and gas, uh, you know, in, in the hotter and the cooler months. Um, but uh, a lot of uh, a lot of activists and a lot of local elected officials are saying that this uh, feels kind of rich from Central Hudson after its numerous and well-documented problems with billing um, and kind of multiple investigations uh, ongoing, or some of them are ongoing anyway. Um, and that, uh, you know, they're seeming to suggest that this rate is actually uh, to try to fill in <laughs> some of uh to increase Central Hudson's revenue, given uh, 
some of the challenges and penalties these days. Yeah, I, I was going to mention that because uh, that that's kind of the backdrop to all of this. We we ended last year and started this year talking about those exact problems. We had, uh, you know, newly uh, inaugurated Ulster County Executive Jen Metzger on to talk about this. I think back in March, um, and and so all, those issues aren't even fully resolved. But as you say, like the new rates need to go into effect next year, so th- they they actually have to do this work to figure out what what the new rates uh, are. Are is where is the process at now? Are they still taking public comment? Are there going to be additional hearings? Is there anything like that uh, on the table? Yeah. So that's the next step is a series of public hearings. These are going to be live streamed and available to view on the Department of Public Services YouTube channel. And people can participate in a number of ways they, they can phone in. Um, they can uh, they can participate uh, virtually via WebEx, the, uh, the sort of online video platform. Um, and they, those hearings start next week. There are a couple on Tuesday, September 12th. Uh, there are a couple on Wednesday, September 20th. Um, and then there may be more in the future. Uh, Ulster County Executive Jen Metzger, who you mentioned just a minute ago, earlier this week, I think it was, she sent a letter to the Public Service Commission urging them to hold an in-person hearing so that uh, Ulster County residents and presumably other residents uh, in Central Hudson's coverage area could show up and, and make their voices heard. It's yet to be determined whether or not that will happen, but um, there is a lot of public push from, from folks like Metzger, uh, other lo- local elected officials, and um, advocates like those uh, like lo- uh, uh, locals for clean power and, and other uh, other environmental groups who are pushing a lot of folks to participate in these public comment periods. All right. And finally, I know that you have reported on the winner of the Ulster County I Voted sticker contest, and I think they have young people design stickers, submit them for a winner. Now, um, this this is, you know, this could be just a fun story, but that doesn't mean it's not important because the, I think it was just the last time Ulster County did this, it became uh, national news, right? I mean, there, there was a lot of people around the country that were checking out Ulster County's I Voted sticker last time around. Yeah. So, you know, this is a contest. I think this year was the third annual contest. Um, this is open to 13 to 18 year olds in the county. Um, and it's a sort of public, there's a public voting. I think the, the county board of elections chooses five or six finalists and then, you know, the, pub, the public votes. Uh, the winner this year is uh, a 16 year old from Rondout Valley High School named Julia Deo, who did a kind of line drawing of the Statue of Liberty. She's holding up a torch out of the flames of the torch. Um, it says, I voted, and she's colored it like red on one side, blue on the other side. It kind of merges to purple in the middle. The message, I think, is pretty clear. Voting is a thing that people of all political stripes can get behind, and it's kind of a unifying civic commitment, right? And yeah, the the purpose of this type of contest is to encourage um, sort of civic engagement, um, especially among you know, uh, 
teenagers who are not yet old enough to vote. So, you know, they can't vote, but they can maybe get excited about uh, voting in the future and learning about the candidates and just kind of engaging with local politics by uh, by submitting artwork to this contest. Last year, uh, last year's story went really, really viral because uh, the runaway winner was a was a 14 year old, then 14 year old named Hudson Rowan, who drew what uh, listeners might remember as a kind of bug eyed voting monster, sort of looked like a floating head of spaghetti, um, kind of indescribable, uh, had uh, sort of bloodshot eyes and and. It's, it, it went viral. I'm, I'm looking yeah. at it now, and it, you can't describe it as any way other than like a monster. Uh, it has multiple yeah. legs. But the thing that strikes me about it is part of it, like it looks crazed and happy. It it does look happy yeah. that it voted. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think the way I phrased it in my story last year about it is that it looks as if the monster is screaming his or her civic commitment. Um, <laughs> it is. It is. Uh, it's something that should only be viewed in safety of one's own home. <laughs> and, right. Um, but uh, those, yeah, the stickers actually became a uh, little collector's items as well. I had, um, I had multiple friends from, you know, places far flung from Ulster County ask if there was any way that I could pick them up a sticker. Uh, unfortunately you only get one, but uh, yeah, you know, that, that drawing took off um, and, you know, Went viral on social media. He ended up getting something like 230,000 votes. Uh, a typical winner gets about 1,000. Uh, I think Julia Deo this year, I, I think she got 3,000. So, you know, there's a little bit of a, you know, second year bump there. Well, I think they're worth comparing less in regard of like how much notoriety any individual sticker gets, but uh, both to the extent to which uh, these stickers speak to the moment, the moment that we're in. Like last year's, I think people around the country <laughs> felt a little bit crazy about election, but here in New York State, here in the Hudson Valley, it was it was a monster election year, so it was great to have a monster. Uh, but this this one feels a little more uh, traditional and and speaking to, as you say, like some degree of of unity and aesthetically the deep rich colors in it um really anchor that in a in a deep place that yearning for unity so i get that from this year so congratulations to julia uh for that great sticker and thank you so much for reporting on it for us that is a uh, stirring uh, both artistic and political analysis jason <laughs> all right we do our best here on the local edition and uh, you and i will do our best again uh this time next thursday when we check in with times union hudson valley bureau uh, once again thanks so much philip pantuso until then okay we're going to take a quick break when we come back new york state lawmakers who are looking at what a post-pandemic tourism industry is like in new york state stay with us you're listening to The Local Edition, winner of two Excellence in Broadcasting Awards from the New York State Broadcasters Association. Radio Catskill. Listen local. Welcome back to The Local Edition, news and information keeping you connected in the Catskills, Northeast Pennsylvania. I'm your host, Jason Dole. We're going to close out the show now with just uh, one more story. As Republican members of the State Assembly are touring New York this week. Uh, and this is part of efforts to revive the tourism industry in the state after the pandemic. WAMC's Alexander Babby reports. 
Speaking Wednesday at the historic Hotel Broad Alban near the great Sacandaga Lake, Assemblyman Robert Smullen, a Republican whose 118th district includes Hamilton, Oneida, Herkimer, Fulton, and Montgomery counties, says the goal is to support tourism destinations that were harmed by the COVID-19 pandemic. It's not only the summer tourism community that's just ending here just after Labor Day, but it's also having to do with winter sports whether it's skiing and snowmobiling and all the recreational activities like ice fishing that go along uh, the Sacandaga Lake. Assemblyman Scott Gray, whose district includes the Thousand Islands, says his fellow Republicans are seeking support for local ventures. We're not, you know, going putting all of our IDA efforts into locating a big factory in there. It's a, a you know, it's a mix of a lot of different venues. It's a mix of a lot of different uh, small businesses. And small businesses, I'm a small business owner myself, Small businesses are, are like a major portion of job creation. They create over 60% of the jobs. Ron Peters, president and CEO of the Fulton County Center for Regional Growth, says infrastructure development is needed. The things that come up are workforce housing, uh, access to sock and dog is very, very important, and water and sewer lines going up Route 30. That, that's their very key ingredients from our perspective to make additional tourism happen in Fulton County. Smullen says protecting tourism ensures livelihoods. What we have to do is our very best to make sure that the state has a level playing field for all of those businesses to be able to succeed, to be able to support not only the people that come in to recreate in this area, but the families that go to our schools and that belong in our communities. Gray stresses there is a need for more housing. A lot of the real estate market is being consumed with short-term rentals now, which is also putting the pressure, downward pressure, on housing availability. So uh, what's important, I think we all support, uh, you know, adding additional affordable housing. But one thing we won't, support is uh, usurping local control. Housing remains one of the key areas of disagreement between the Democratic-controlled legislature and Governor Kathy Hochul. Her ambitious plan to add 800,000 new housing units around the state faced fierce local opposition during this year's legislative session, and lawmakers left Albany until January without a deal. Matt Simpson, a Republican whose 114th district includes Warren County and parts of Washington, Saratoga, and Essex counties, including Lake George, says the interests of the tourism industry need to be balanced against residents' needs. The history of our tourism has evolved so much over the last 10 years with the I Love New York program. It's been very successful. The state has done a great job. But along with that become challenges and things that we've learned along the way and things that we need to address going forward to make sure it's sustainable. Sustainable for the people who live here year-round and uh, and families that, that raise their families, and as well as uh, making this a four-season destination, not just a winter or a summer, but also including the shoulder seasons. And, uh, and I think this is a great step. A spokesperson for Hochul says the Democrat, quote, recognizes the critical importance of the tourism industry to every region of New York, which is why she launched a major $450 million investment to help the tourism industry recover from the COVID-19 pandemic and has continued investing in the sector throughout her time in office, end quote. Smullen also pointed to spotty cell phone coverage as a need for the region. There's areas in the Adirondacks where that coverage is not good enough for emergency services. We had recently had an accident where a woman had broken her leg and it took a law enforcement official 40 minutes to be able to get help to that individual once they had actually arrived on the scene. Uh, so we, we, need, we need more cell phone towers and we need to make sure that all the broadband money that's coming from the FCC 
and from New York State, really gets down into the rural communities. David and Zoe Thompson, who owned the historic hotel Broad Alban, say they hope more development comes to the area. We can do more on the south end of the lake.、Um, we need to. We we have we have guests that come here from all over the world,、um, all over the state and the country, and they want they want to go to the lake. And、um, unfortunately, we have to direct them up north because the lake access down on the south end is is very limited. Smullen says the task force will issue a report detailing its findings. When we go into the next legislative session, all these ideas will get inputted directly into the legislative process. So it's a it's really it's a tried and true way. Uh, to make sure that our voice and our values are are represented in all of、right. it. Lawmakers were planning five more visits across New York. For WMC News in Broad Alban, I'm Alexander Babby. Thank you so much, Alexander, for that report. Thank you to New York Public News Network for all the reporting that we had today, and thank you for listening to the local edition. That's going to do it for us here tonight. Be in for Patricio Rabio, so I'm looking forward to that.、Uh, we've got Ramble Tamble with John Gordon coming up、uh, later on this evening at seven o'clock. But first, we've got the daily and the latest news. This is Radio Catskill. Support comes from Kipins Art Gallery in Walton, New York, upstairs at 150 Delaware Street. Open Saturdays and Sundays, 12 to 6 p.m., and first Fridays of the month, 4 to 8 p.m. No thanks. New paintings by Reese Ziemba opens this Saturday, September ninth, from four to eight p.m. More information at kipnz.com, and from the River Reporter newspaper, riverreporter.com, and from listeners like you who donate at wjffradio.org. WJFF Jeffersonville W two three three AH Monticello, broadcasting from our studios in Liberty, New York. This is Radio Catskill. Public radio for the Catskills and Northeast Pennsylvania.